district, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing. On all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex? Send the homie a text? That trash offers the best? You try to make it complex? Then they text you back, now all of a sudden they don't make any sense? <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do with the... And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Bait them. Fish. All right, welcome everybody to uh, another edition of Press Coverage. Uh, today I've got my my very good friend Scott Pianowski uh, on with me, and this is uh, kind of a conversation that we always like to have. Seems like sometime during in August, uh, Scott, that uh, we get together, uh, you know, in one form or another, whether it be uh, by text or by phone or by email or whatever, and we just kind of spar back and forth on a few of the players. And so that's what we're going to be doing today is just uh, Scott and I kind of talking our way through situations that um, maybe don't make sense to one of us or the other of us, or maybe even both of us and uh, see if we can find any wisdom between us. So uh, welcome, Scott. It's been great to uh, ha have you as a friend all these years. And uh, you're, you're definitely somebody who uh, I, I tremendously respect and that, um, you know, you my gosh, we, we go back to what, 1990 or something like that, uh, back in the days of the bing bong modems. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, quite a different world back then, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I, I've just really enjoyed seeing you, uh, in your career take off, uh, with Yahoo and everything. And for those who maybe don't know you as well, why don't you just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, what you got going on these days. For sure. Uh, great to be here. And, um, you, you know how I feel about you and your your approach, your intellect, your hu humility. We get so much stuff wrong, and just you play the game so well. I um, we did meet on Prodigy in, in the '90s, you know, the dial-up days when I was still living at home and um, monopolizing the phone, much to the ch chagrin of everybody else I lived with. Um, trying trying to get that 9600 modem on so I could check my email and message boards and sports scores, see how the White Sox scored their run in the first inning. Oh, Frank Thomas drove in Ray, Ray Durham. That's nice. Uh, Dan, by the way, I, I loved retelling this story. I'll say it really quickly. He begged me basically to draft Randy Moss in 1998, and that's uh, <laughs> that was a pretty good thing to be early on, right? Oh, wait, wait a third receiver is going to be relevant on an NFL team? Yeah, Randy Moss was pretty freaking relevant that year. I, I'm Scott Pianowski. I, I've been doing this thing. Uh, back into the 90s, um, you may have seen my work on Fantasy Guru. You may have seen my work on Rotowire. Uh, I've written for a bunch of magazines. I've been part of the Fantasy Index poll. Shout out to Ian Allen and that great crew for a, a solid couple of decades. Awesome guys. And very proud uh, to be in the employ of Yahoo since 2008. And, um, you know, uh, I, I played fantasy for a long time, which means I probably made every mistake you can make. I'm going to try to make fewer mistakes this year and hopefully have a winning season and to me, as, as Dan said, um, we're old friends, and I just like to, at some point at this time of year, just you know, I want to I take my notebook out and get out of his notebook and compare notes and see 
you know, who do we both like? Who do we both dislike? What, what are we doing with nebulous teams and situations? Um, and if we disagree on anything, I immediately have to reopen the argument because uh, we won't agree on everything. But if he has a different viewpoint on a player than I do, I just underscores that I need to reevaluate my stance. I may ultimately not change it, but Dan certainly is persuasive enough to change my mind because I have great, again, great respect for his approach, and I, I know how well he plays the game. And uh, so let's get into it, man. Let's talk some football. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I guess, uh, you know, just before we came on, we were kind of talking a little bit about the, the Saints. Um, and why don't we start with uh, just kind of the, the whole general state of the state Saints offense. Um, what, are you, what are you thinking about them, Scott? Because they're, they're definitely a team that uh, has been puzzling me a little bit this offseason. Yeah, they're, they're a gigantic fade for me. And if the Saints wind up being a really good fantasy team, I'm sure the New Orleans fans are going to gang tackle me. They've already queued up my tweets and that's fine. I mean, look, you, you root for your team and you know, if some analyst is wrong on them, by all means, take them down after the fact. That's just kind of what Twitter is. But I look at like a player like Camara, who the suspension risk seems like it's off the table now. I mean, maybe there's a tiny amount of it, but it's pretty much negligible. So it's, we're not considering that when we think if we want to draft him or not, because of that Camara has percolated where I'm seeing kind of consistently in the second round. And a lot of people I respect, you know, like that, uh, that syndicate team of Evan Silva and you know those guys, I thought five analysts I really uh, respected a draft where they took Camara in a high money league. But what makes me nervous is this is the worst offensive line, at least by the way I measure it. I know some people think their offensive line actually won't be a problem. I'm, I'm concerned about it. But I do think it's the worst offensive line Camara's ever run behind in the NFL. He was with a quarterback in Breeze, and, and I realize Breeze has been gone now two years, but a quarterback in Breeze and a coach in Peyton who perfectly meshed to what Kamara's good at, whether it comes to scheming, throwing in the flow of, of a screen pass, or checking down if a play isn't there downfield. Those are gone. Again, second year without Breeze, first year without Peyton. I'm just not a Jameis Winston believer. Uh, he makes me nervous, really makes me nervous for Michael Thomas. Again, Thomas, two bad years. I think maybe the Chiefs has gone bad on him. When Chiefs goes bad on a player, I don't like the bet on it going good again. Like I think of like A.J. Green, a guy who was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. But once he lost his way, I just wasn't going to be the person who optimistically looked at him again. I think of Michael Thomas and like, okay, what does he do? He, he runs really precise routes and catches contested passes like really close to the line of scrimmage that requires an accurate throw. That does not make me think of Jameis Winston. That makes me think of Drew Brees. But not Jameis Winston. So I'm I'm thinking that Kamara and Thomas are dealing with more in uh, target competition. They drafted Alave in the first round. They added Jarvis Landry. We'll see what he has left. But the wide receiver room is deeper than it was last year. It, it, they were playing like guys who shouldn't even be starting last year. So now there's more competition for the ball. I, the Saints have even admitted they don't think Kamara is really an 80 catch pass, uh, 80 pass catch guy anymore. So I'm thinking, okay, I don't have the quarterback I want. I don't have the coach I want. I don't have the offensive line I want. And I don't have the role I want. I, I will never take Alvin Kamara in the second round. Yeah, he was he was a little bit more palatable when he was going in the third round, which we, he was for a while when uh, there was seemed like there was more risk of uh, suspension. And, you know, it, now that he's going in the second round, I won't say I've entirely held off, but um, I've taken very little of him. Um, you know, just for basically the reasons that you mentioned and, you know, if they're going to be running him up the middle uh, between the tackles, I don't really have any interest in Kamara because that's not what his forte is. Um, and if he's not going to get those, you know, those targets, uh, that's what's really going to matter. I mean, you know, if he if he can't come down with at least you know sixty seventy catches uh, in this offense, you know, it's it's going to be hard for him to return value. 
Um, on the plus side, if you are pro Kamara, at least you can look at the depth chart and be mm-hmm. like, well, who, who the heck else are they going to give the ball to? I mean, you know, Mark Ingram, it's like he's 100 years old. There's nobody challenging him for the ball, but uh, you, you make a great point that you don't, this offense does not want to live on him being an, an early down grinder and a between the tackles guy. Ultimately, I think they have to find somebody who could be that player. I, I wonder if they'd be in on Kareem Hunt if he was really offered around the league because the Saints seem like a team that could maybe, or maybe when we know. Running back is a position where talented players will get cut. When talented players start getting cut, I wonder if um, they'll be in on one of those guys because it seems like a team that should probably be adding another running back, unless they know unless Mark Ingram is just going to age like Frank Gore, which I don't think is going to happen. But anyway, I'm I'm a big Kamara is probably my splashiest fade this year. Although the player, I also tell you about a player that uh, my favorite player who I won't draft is Debo Samuel, who I think is wonderful, fantastic, but what he did last year is not a sustainable business model. And now we have a new quarterback who, one, is going to run the ball a lot to himself. He's going to get his own carries. That Now, that's maybe good for the offense, but it, when a quarterback runs, nobody else benefits from it. And this offense will probably have less passing volume with Lance as they want to get his feet wet. They don't want to overexpose him or put too much on his plate. And who's to say that Lance won't click with Kittle or, or Brandon Ayuk or somebody more than Samuel, even though Samuel's a wonderful player. I mean, you never really know how those things will play out. Debo's being drafted aggressively as he should. He had a fantastic year last year. He was one of those. Very, I think the, the term league winner is thrown out too much. But I mean, if you had guys like if you had Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel on your team, there's an excellent chance you you got deep in your playoffs or maybe took the whole thing down. They were that important in that seismic. So, a Debo Samuel is somebody I love. I, I'll never get over the fact that the Patriots took Nikhil Harry when they could have had Debo or or AJ Brown, another player I love, Terry McLaurin, some of my favorite players in the league. But um, I'm not drafting Debo Samuel this year. It hurts but I think it's the right move. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I don't think I've clicked Debo yet this draft season. With with as many drafts as I've done, that's that's definitely saying something. But he's, he, you know, I just can't get behind him until we're, you know, probably well into the third round, maybe even uh, a little bit past that. Um, I, I think there's a lot of injury risk there with his style of play. I think he got incredibly lucky last year. And as you said, you know, everything just kind of came up uh, aces for him last year, and I don't think that same thing's going to happen. And certainly, uh, the pass volume is going to be a concern too. So, um, what are you taking anybody out of the 49ers pass game, Scott, or are you just out on them completely? It's funny, Kittle's a lot like Debo, he's he might be the best pure tight end in the league, but I can't, I can't draft him either. I was in on Ayuk early when I thought the price was a little bit depressed, now it, that's been chased up to. I don't, I don't hate the IU price, but I'm not really targeting him either. I would think if, if all my drafts started now, I would think I'd probably be close to what a normal distribution would be of Ayuk. And again, you know, I, I'm not drafting as much as you are, but we're, we're heavy volume guys. You know, we're, and I know to some people will be like, well, wait a minute, you know, how many teams did you draft? You must own every player, roster every player, you know, which actually isn't true. There are some players I never get around to drafting, but it is, it is fair that you're thinking more of portfolio and diversification and, and you do have to just kind of be comfortable with the fact that you're going to have a large outlier of players. It's just it's just the way it is. You know, it's a little bit complicated to figure out who do I actually have, what's good for me. You know, what right. result what what result am I rooting for? Because so much is in conflict with each other. But anyway, if my draft season started now, I would think I would be normal distribution on Ayuk, not proactive for me, not reactive for me, just somewhere in the middle. And the other two guys, wonderful real life players, but I'm not drafting them. Yeah, I've I've got some Kittle because I'm kind of in a little way, um, especially in tight end premium, a little little bit afraid not to. 
Um, you know, so I do take him when he falls. Uh, he sometimes in the tight end premium, he sometimes falls into the fourth round. In non tight end premium, he'll sometimes go into the uh, sixth round. Um, you know, and those are those are prices where if you know, it, it kind of depends on who else has been taken in that draft as to whether I'm in or out on on Kittle. Uh, but if I'm stuck, he might he might be a player that I take. Ayuk is so um, he's so good. He's yeah. such a fantastic football player. Right. I mean, how <laughs> you know, no tight end gets 80 yard runs like Kittle. You know, or 70 yard. Uh, you know, catch and runs. Uh, you know, the guy the guy is every year. I think he's gotten like two or three of 50 plus. I mean, it's just it's amazing. Um, you know, so that's, that's a player I have a hard time staying away from. Ayuk is probably the one I've drafted the most though, uh, just simply because of price as, as you said, he's starting to creep up, but you know, when I look at the receivers that are available around him, um, it's, you know, his is a name that I will click on, you know, just given the camp reports that he's had good rapport with, uh, Lance and, you know, what we've seen from him in stretches. Um, you know, he, he, I think fits a little bit more into, um, best ball, or if you're going for, um, you know, the contest leagues, you know, the big money contests, uh, that's the kind of receiver that fits a little bit better into there. I might take somebody safer if I'm talking about just a, you know, a closed, uh, 12 team league. Thoughts on that? I, I think we're in line on that. I, I like the way you laid that out. And also, I mean, the market corrected, right? I mean, last year, Ayuk was going ahead of Debo and the, it was a great opportunity. You know, we, we always talk about like if you had just gotten the Rams and 49ers right, if you realized that Cup was the guy to get with the Rams and Debo was the guy to get in San Francisco, man, was your life going to be easy? You could have gotten a million things wrong, but that would have paid a lot of bills right there. But I, I think maybe the ADP just represents an overcorrection. That I think, I think Debo is the better player, but Brandon Ayuk is still capable of being a star in this league. And I like that he was very early to him and Lance you know, running this is stuff that's hard to know because we, we we're not in the locker room. You know, I don't, I don't right. live with Trey Lance. I don't live with D, with Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. So I don't really know a lot of the stuff you have to take on. It's based on what the source is and, you know, a lot of the stuff you have to filter out. That's why I come to you, you know, what, what's legitimately signal and what's noise. There's so much noise out there, but I, it sure does sound like Ayuk after kind of a lost season, I realized he came on the second half of the year. It just seems like he understands he's at a critical point in his career. You know, what kind of player are you going to be? Are you going to be a, a difference maker or somebody who maybe fizzles out of the league in five or six years. I, I think this is a key year for him. And I think he's going to step forward. Yeah. Hearing that he's, he's become kind of a team leader, uh, you know, definitely is one of those things that, you know, you, you can't overrate it, but it's, it's worth, worth noting for sure. And uh, you know, and as you were saying, you know, it, it, it's so hard to figure, filter out the the signal and the noise, you know, or, you know, it's great that uh, him and Lance have spent a lot of time together and all that, but you know, like with Cup and uh, Stafford last year, you know, it was it was the breakfast narrative. Well, these guys are eating breakfast together all the time. You know what? I, I don't think they were the first quarterback and wide receiver to eat breakfast together a lot or, you know, get together in some other way, uh, you know, and spend a lot of time together. And it doesn't necessarily work out. But when you see something working out, you say, oh, and they're eating breakfast together. And you're like, oh, well, that's it. You know, that must be that must be exactly the reason why Cooper Cup uh turned insane in fantasy football so man he was just a, a wide open for four months right right I, I actually think if the league had gotten i just wish we could have gone back 80 90 years and said look forget mvp let's just make everything most outstanding player let's not have it be a a long argument about what the word valuable means the most outstanding football player in the league last year was cooper cup 
it wasn't Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't Tom Brady. You know, they, they have perfectly fine seasons. You know, it was a lot of Debo Samuel was great. The most outstanding player I saw was Cup, and I wish he could have won MVP. It just they don't vote it that way. And Jerry Rice, as much as I was a John Elway fan, Jerry Rice should have won the MVP in 1987. If Jerry Rice couldn't win it in 87, I don't think Randy Moss even got a vote in 2007, you know, which I thought he would have been perfectly fine as, as well as Brady. They gave it to Brady, which I thought was reasonable. But, I mean, Moss had a 23-touchdown season. You, you can't tell me the reason why that offense blew up wasn't because Moss came there motivated and, and still had a lot in the tank. Uh, anyway, you know, it's my colleague at Yahoo, Matt Harmon, he talks about layup targets. Mm-hmm. With those easy catches and man between Stafford and, and especially Sean McVay that offense and all the route combinations they run where somebody else is running a route where the whole goal is okay we're going to set this up so that Cooper Cup's wide open down the field for a drag route and then he's going to catch it and then he's going to run like 15 more yards and it just seems like you see that all afternoon and, and if you're against Cooper Cup you just want to scream out why aren't you covering him why is he wide <laughs> open well it's because the whole offense is set up for him to have an easy catch and they you know, if you have an easy button and it's working, just keep keep pressing that button. And that's what the Rams did for five months. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, you know it, it'll be interesting to see how the league adjusts with the whole offseason to to take a look at you know what happened because you know you know no defensive coordinator was going in there going, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll see if Cooper Cup can beat us. We're going to shut down everybody else. Uh, that's that's not what was going on. You know, uh, they they legitimately they were getting out schemed by McVeigh. Um, you know, and you know, if, if he's got the way to get Cooper cup open on every play, because he's going to misdirect you, um, you know, you've, you've got to find a way to adjust to that. So looking forward to seeing how that goes. You mentioned McVeigh. Let me ask you this. This, this is one, I think one of the key questions we have to ask ourselves, right? I don't think there are that many Sean McVeigh's and that many Andy Reeds and that many Bill Belichick's. I think there's a lot of coaches that kind of muddle together and there's some coaches that actually take things off the table. You know, it, Urban Meyer was horrendous. The, the mm-hmm. Giants had such bad coaching with Joe Judge and you know um, the last remnants of Jason Garrett. So you say to yourself, what if Brian Dable's a home run hire? Or what if Doug Peterson, I don't know if Doug Peterson, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a great coach, but I mean, surely he's going to be better than Urban Meyer, right? Could every scout have been wrong on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we all like Travis Etienne coming out of college. I realize he had a major injury. Do you see whether, whether it's Dable, uh, just Peterson being better than Meyer, I, what team jumps out at you when I say to you, who's going to benefit the most from having adults in the room finally? I, I, either those teams interest you or is there somebody else? Is there another Sean McVay percolating out there? Maybe that's unrealistic to throw that out there, but what team finally has adults in the room and we can feel good about their offense? I, I'm going to play the percentage and say there's no Sean McVay out there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think uh, Jacksonville should be far better this year. Uh, you know, just having an adult in the room, as you said, is is going to make a huge difference. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence's second year in the league uh, with somebody who actually knows how to coach him. Uh, it's it's going to make a huge difference there. I who, think, who are you overweight on in Jacksonville, if anybody? I've been probably more overweight on ETN. Um, I'm. I wouldn't call myself overweight on probably anybody else. Mar- Marvin Jones a little bit, um, but I've been pretty even weight, which is a big change from when I was just way underweight. So for sure, yeah, yeah that that was such a dead zone for such a long time. I. I know you can cause problems for yourself when you take receivers changing teams, especially if they have a role upgrade and that fits what Christian Kirk is doing but 
I still think he in a managed league, he's a reasonable wide receiver four. You might even get him as your wide receiver five. And there's been historically, it's not uncommon for a quarterback to look like he has no idea what he's doing in his first year and then be a lot better in the second year. And some of these examples I'm going to bring out, I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners won't even know these guys, but, or didn't see them play, but you know, Terry Bradshaw before I even, you know, I, I only knew the second half of his career, but he was horrible as rookie year. Elway was really bad as rookie year. Aikman surrounded by an awful team was bad as rookie year. Uh, recently, Wentz and Goff got a lot better in their second seasons. So I, I don't think, I think a lot of people are probably on board with this. And again, the Jaguars, they're, they're going to supplement your roster. You know, I think the only real difference maker potentially here is probably ETN, and, and everybody probably views it that way. But I don't think anybody would be surprised if at the end of the year it'd be like, oh yeah, you know, Trevor Lawrence can be one of the rising stars in the league. And you know, wow, look at what he did now that they actually gave him a chance to succeed. I I was shocked. I I. I wasn't convinced that Urban Meyer was a bad hire like a lot of people were. And then I just saw some of the stories of some of the things he was doing. I'm like, oh, my God, he has no idea what the pro culture is. You know, it's a totally different culture for him. And he's, he hasn't adjusted at all. He's hired the wrong people. He's sending the wrong messages. Um, yeah, I, I think they probably should have fired him like a month into the season. But whatever. I mean, at least they moved on from the mistake. But it's just crazy how wrong they were. Um, you know, I talk about adults in the room. Another big problem for me this year, a big question, is, okay, you have the Cowboys, okay? They pay the big money to Zeke Elliott. Tony Pollard was so much better on a per-touch basis last year. So where's the adult in the room? Now, nothing's changed in Dallas. Everything, Jerry Jones is still there, and coaching staff's the same. Who's the adult in the room who says Tony Pollard needs to play more? Or is it just going to be, well, Zeke's going to get all the touches or the majority of the work there? I'm curious how you're handling that backfield, because sometimes – when we want it, we want the rational coaching, right? We want it. I can see some people be like, well, I'm going to be in on Tony Pollard. At some point, they're just going to accept that he's better and he'll play. And then other people say, well, no, no, no. They paid Zeke the money. They don't want to admit the mistake. Maybe Zeke was hurt last year. I, I, bottom line with this is that I'm not drafting Zeke at all or just about not at all. But at least if, when people, if we were drafting together and you wanted to draft Zeke and your case was, well, touches on a good offense, they're going to play to the contract. At least I'd see that point. I'm kind of out on Pollard only because he's being drafted so aggressively, yep. and I'm not sure he has standalone value. I think he probably needs Zeke out of the way, and that's a really big move. If Zeke's like a, a heavy statue in front of a stadium that you need to move it, and you can't move it with like three people. You need like 20 people and a crane and a truck. You know, I don't think I don't think Dallas has that stuff. I think Zeke's just going to be kind of in the way all season. Well, and not only that, but Jerry Jones has chained himself to the Zeke statue. So. Yes, he has. Well, <laughs> you know. Uh, and and I, I I did not miss the uh, metaphor of Zeke of, as a statue to start with, so that was, that was a good one. I like that. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm the same way. I just don't have very much Pollard because it's just it's really tough to to see anybody standing up to Jerry Jones and saying no, we're going to run it this way. And it's really tough to see. Uh, I mean, you know, I. I, I guess I've never been a huge McCarthy fan. Um, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers kind of made him, and I think he's getting exposed a little bit in Dallas. And, you know, it, we do have Kellen Moore running the offense, so that's a good thing. But, you know, still, uh, I think some directives are coming from further up that are kind of choking it off, or maybe Moore isn't quite as good as we think he is or something. But anyway, he hasn't to date used Pollard, and I just... You know, until I see something change, I don't know why I would think that he's going to. Exactly. You you can't apply that thought. I, I would love to see, we'll probably never see it, but I would love to see if at one point if Jerry Jones would 
make a hire that would subjugate his ego and say, okay, you know what? I'm not the right GM here. I'm not the overlord for this team. Let me kind of sit back and be more of a silent partner and get really smart football people. I, I, I view McCarthy like you do. I think he fell into, I mean, he's you know NFL lifer, you know, not the worst coach in the league, certainly not the best coach in right. the league, fell into Aaron Rodgers at the right time and got to make his name on, you know, one of the, I mean, Aaron Rodgers' peak is right there with anybody's, right? I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks. He's one of the four or five best quarterbacks I've ever seen. It still blows my mind that the Packers have Favre and Rodgers and have just two championships to show for it. And Rodgers has only been to one Super Bowl. I, I Man, I just I, I can't wrap my <laughs> mind around that. Just, just like Drew Brees retired with one Super Bowl trip and Marino, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I had told you in 1985, you know, Dan Marino is going to be healthy and have a great career and, break all these records and put up all these stats and he'll never get, and he'll go to the playoffs constantly and, and even win a lot of playoff games, but never go back to the Super Bowl. Like, I'd be like, get out of here. No way. That's not, he's going to go three, four, five Super Bowls, but it's, man, it's hard. Uh, I would love to see Dallas with a, again, an adult in the room, but you know, Jerry Jones is going to run the team like his tinker toy. And that's going to stand in the way of a team that has a lot of talent on both sides of the football too. But yeah. I just feel like they're always going to underachieve a little bit. I, I am drafting into Dar- some people don't like when I say drafting into. I should just say drafting. But I've been drafting Dalton Schultz uh, fairly proactively. And I realize he's not exciting as far as a, like a workout metrics thing. But I like that he's the number two target on a good offense. And yet he'll never be the focus of defensive attention because Lamb is so good. And even the running backs will draw some attention. So I've become a little bit of a Schultz sympathizer. I know some people like to go big at tight end. And I'm thinking here like a standard league. Obviously, in the premium tight end, you have to change the calculus. I'm generally not the Kelsey guy. I'm not the Andrews guy. And I, I in some leagues, I'll go cheaper at tight end. But Schultz is probably my most rostered tight end. What do you say to that? I've really come around to Schultz um, the past month or so for basically exactly the reasons that you're talking about. The the fact that he is a sheltered number two target. Um, you know, I, I think everybody wants... Jalen Tolbert to be something that he might not be quite ready to be. Um, you know, he's, he is a rookie and, um, you know, he's, I, I don't know. I mean, they've got Noah Brown, they've got, uh, you know, wide receiver, they've got Schultz, they have other options that they can use while, uh, Michael Gallup is, is recovering. And I'm not sure how big of a loss Amari Cooper really was to that team. Um, I guess I'm, you know, Maybe maybe I'm jaded because I always expected more from Cooper in fantasy, but he just never really struck me as being a player who was really making a difference for his team. He was just kind of there, you know, sort of more of a bit role player than uh, the true alpha that uh, everybody thought he was going to be. Yeah, I'm not. By the way, not touching him. Oh, in, no, um, definitely not. Cleveland, yeah, I, there. that's yeah. That 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 is like I. I I don't even want to put his name on my cheat sheet anywhere. If I put it anywhere, it's going to be a you know, wide receiver 78 or something. Uh, so there's just absolutely no chance I could even ever think about drafting him. Um, we, we, talk, we hit briefly on the Giants. What do you think about the, the Dable hire in uh, New York? And, uh, or is it more of a just getting the idiots out of the way there? If, if nothing else, even if he's just a, a non-idiot upgrade, I'm – I'm interested, and what if he's a good coach? As you said, it's it's wrong to expect anybody to be a McVay. That's just not, you know, or an Andy Reid. That those guys just come around so infrequently. But I do think Dable deserves some some of the credit for the development of Josh Allen. And they have the Giants are weird yep. because they have names, you know, on offense. They have talent, 
but you know, Zeke's had a, a couple of messy seasons, and it's, it's the point now where nobody wants to go near Galladay, and I get it. I'm, I don't want to go near Galladay either. Kadarius Tony moves really well when he's healthy, but it seems like he's hurt all the time. Wondell Robinson has you know, his fans, and he, he can certainly do some things. At the end of the day, I, I still think Daniel Jones has a chance to be a solid player. I, I think he's just been coached so poorly. I realize they overdrafted him. Nobody else was going to take him number six overall. And, you know, he went to a non-power school and all that. But I like his athleticism. I still think he has a decent arm. And I, the problem is I don't know what what receiver I want. I'm not going to take Galladay. I mean, Shepard's always hurt. He's hurt now. He's not going to be ready for the start of the season. I, I was into Tony maybe a month ago, but then with him having such a lost summer, I've kind of backed off that. I'm expecting Wondell Robinson to hit the ground running is maybe too much. I haven't been proactive on Barkley. I could see how that could beat me. I realize he's still really young, so maybe we shouldn't we give him a chance to, to actually have a second act in the NFL. I think the Giants have a chance to be you know, kind of a plucky 6-11, 7-10 team. I, I hate 17 games, by the way. 16 was, was perfectly fine. Yes, um, yes. And, but the, the odd thing is, this could sound so weird, but most of my leagues are super flex leagues. Mm-hmm. The player I'm most proactive on on this team is Daniel Jones, just because he goes outside the top 20, and I can tell myself a story where he's a top 15 quarterback, and I, I've, re- I've made a profit on his ADP. He's the guy I'm drafting into. It sounds, it sounds dumb because you know, Daniel Jones has a chance to be horrible. Right, but this, yeah, for Superflex, I think that makes a lot of sense because, again, with that second quarterback, I mean, if you can, if you can find that home run play, and, and Jones certainly knows how to use his legs, you know, and he could be kind of a, you know, a little bit of a, you know, uh, I don't want to say Lamar Jackson light, but, you know, he, he could be a Jalen Hurts light, um, something like that maybe. Um, and, you know, that has a lot of value, you know, so when you can, if he's your second or even your third quarterback, um, in a super flex, uh, you know, there's a potential there, uh, to, to really have some upside to, uh, to juice your team a lot. Uh, so I definitely understand that. Let, let's go back to Saquon real quick though. I'm, I'm basically a hundred percent in on Saquon, uh, for better or worse. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But last year I was 100% out this year. I'm 100% in. And the reason is just, you know, last year I, I knew that his injury from 2020 was a lot worse than what they were letting on. Uh, nobody was really talking about it, but there was more ligaments than just the ACL. And it was one of those things where, you know, from what I had seen in running backs from, from past years when they, when they start getting multiple ligaments, it's basically a two-year injury. Uh, you know, they're not going to be back all the way in that first year. There's a lot of... Um, you know, uh, compensating injuries and so forth like that, uh, that tend to happen. But if they can, if they can get healthy, uh, in the following, you know, off season, uh, you know, I think that there is, you know, a lot more possibility that they can, they can kind of, you know, the cheese can go good again, uh, to use your analogy. Um, so, you know, what I like for sure is the situation. I mean, it's a fantastic situation. Uh, you know, if you, if you're looking for a safe player, it's not going to be Saquon, you know, you're probably better off going with, uh, you know, like a Dalvin cook and just, you know, taking his 12 games and, you know, saying, I'm going to be good with that. And I know he's going to miss four or five. Uh, but if you're really shooting for, uh, you know, trying to win a large tournament or something like that, I think you got to have some exposure in there to Saquon. I see it. Um, no competition for the ball. The offensive line can't be worse. The coaching can't be worse. You know, the infrastructure. I mean, they were they were the, the second half of the year. They were easily the worst 
offense, offense in football. Any defense against them was like you're you're looking at like seven points allowed for starters, and then whatever mistakes the offense would make, and then obviously they were ravaged by injury in addition to all the coaching that we don't trust. Ultimately, with Barkley, it comes down to we, we saw this with Dalvin Cook a few years ago. Sometimes with these guys, it's like you, you just get to give it a year, and the year two after the injuries when you want to be back in. And if that's the case with Barkley, and also they're going to probably, even though his efficiency hasn't been great as a receiver, he's probably set up. I talked about all the uncertainty in that receiver room. Right. He, he might have to catch 80 passes. They may exactly. not have any choice. Even if they don't want to do that, <laughs> he might end up doing it. So um, I think Barkley's a guy who I was probably going to be underweight on. And people like you have swayed me to the point that I need to get Barkley into a competitive ranking. I'm still not comfortable taking him in the first round, but he may go in the second round of a fair amount of drafts. And I, I think I'm going to get in on some of that because I, I see the case that you're outlining and I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we had JD, the, uh, the goat himself uh, asking us a question. He says uh, on the clock, uh, Daniel Jones or Mac Jones. So pick your, pick your Jones. All the upside has to be Daniel Jones because he can run and, Mac, Mac Jones, the, the Patriots are like one of the most boring teams in the league, right? They are so, they aren't even French vanilla. They are vanilla, <laughs> man. And they want to win with defense. And they have this receiver room where everybody's like a solid little player, but there's no front man. They're just all bass players, man. They're all bass players and organists, and there's no lead guitarist. And look, I'm, I'm a big fan of the bass. You know, one of my best friends, Steve Gleason, is a kick ass bass player in a couple of bands. But, you know, you need other pieces too, and they don't have that. And again, that's why it kills me that they didn't draft. They've drafted so poorly. Every time they take a receiver, it just doesn't work out with an early pick. But I want the thing with with Mac Jones and and Dan, I guess it also with, with Mac and Daniel Jones is what you're what you're looking for them to do. You know, and, and again, these are these are super flex picks. I don't think anybody in a start one league is going to look at one of these guys. But if I were in a super flex and my first quarterback was really, really good, and maybe I just wanted the second guy to be a floor guy, like say I had Lamar Jackson or somebody in the top five, top six ilk, maybe like, okay, give me Mac Jones. He's a single, but he's a safe single. He'll get on base. I'm fine with that. If I had, and, and some, people, some people may have a different view of how they want to mix floor and upside, but if I wanted more of a swing for the fences pick, a guy who I could tell myself a story where he's a top 15 quarterback, but I also could be outside the top 30, to me, that's Daniel Jones. So you have to season it to what your roster build looks like and how you feel about upsides and floors. But generally speaking, I'm usually going to side with the guy who I can tell myself a story has more upside in this position. That That's Daniel Jones. But um, there may be also some roster builds where the floor of Mac Jones would make sense too. Yeah, I totally see that. And uh, you you did just mention uh, Lamar. We've kind of mentioned him in passing, but let's let's get into that Ravens uh, offense in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I what I see basically. Um, you know, Dobbins is not still quite all the way back. It sounds like uh, we're hearing whispers that you know Mike Davis could be really really involved early on. Uh, Gus Gus Edwards is going to be out for four weeks. We know for sure uh, because they put him on the pup and. As far as the way that they they kind of structured things over the offseason, doesn't it feel like to you that they want to get more back to running the ball that like they felt they passed it? They they were trying they were asking too much out of Lamar last year. Yeah, the fascinating thing to me with Lamar last year is he struggled so much against the Blitz. The the Bengals had a game where they beat Baltimore up and Jackson was really bad on third down. He was bad on third down all year and he was the idea is that don't play man against Jackson. Don't blitz him. You don't want his athleticism to, to run the play. And last year, 
people were beating Jackson that way. And I think he's at a really critical point in his career. And look, I realize he's already won an MVP. And, and he's another guy, I think, the second year, right, where he really popped. We talked about that for quarterbacks. But this is going to be the year where we're going to find out who Lamar is and, and what his second act is because he had a really bad year last year. The Ravens were ravaged. I think they were the most injured team in the NFL. Um, certainly a yeah. deep roster. John Harbaugh's one of the went right answers, a coach and all that. And Justin Tucker's the best kicker in league history. The, the Ravens are a team. We just know the infrastructure there is so strong. And they have they have guys we want to draft, right? I mean, Mark Andrews, you could make a strong case. He should be the number one tight end. He's not going any lower than two. And Rashad Bateman is going to have all the volume he can handle because the rest of that wide receiver, this is another team when good players start getting cut, I think the Ravens will sniff around if any good receiver gets cut or interesting receiver gets cut. And I, I keep wondering, I don't know if Will Fuller wants to play football anymore, but man, this would be a good team for him. Um, the Cowboys get mentioned a lot. And maybe Fuller just doesn't want to play anymore. Maybe he's not healthy enough to contribute. I don't know. But it sure seems like this is a team that would give him a call, at least give him a workout and throw a couple of balls to him and see what you, you find out. For fantasy purposes, Jackson's I still, still think is really safe. Because oh, yeah. he, he, he that running ability, that running floor, the way the league is legislated, it's just you, you have a huge cheat code already baked into what he does. I just don't know how good of a passer he is. And again, I, I don't I realize I'm talking about a guy who led the league in touchdown rate and had won an MVP. I just was really spooked by how poorly he looked last year. Like he, he almost looked like a guy who'd never been coached. But you know, maybe he just wasn't healthy, he wasn't confident, maybe he just lost all confidence in Hollywood Brown. Maybe he lost all confidence in the rest of that offense. You know, they, they weren't deep. Bateman missed half the year. And then I thought he was solid this is the second half of the year. I wouldn't say he was great. Bateman's a guy I kind of struggle with because I try not to get too bogged down by the underwear Olympics and combine stuff. But his measurables are actually really, really pedestrian. But he was really good in college. And he has, so it's like, it's like, what do you want to believe in? You want, well, you believe in how quickly he established himself in college and how much he commanded market share. And look, he's got to command market share in Baltimore. He has to. They have one mm-hmm. other guy. And they don't throw to their backs either, by the way. They never do. So it's like they need Rashad Bateman to be like a 120 target guy right away. He might even go higher than that. So do we believe in that? Or do we believe in, you know, some of the underwear Olympic stuff, you know, is, is some of his measurables? I, I find myself not drafting Bateman only because where he goes, there are other receivers I usually like a little bit more, but I, I'm open-minded to the idea that I'm going to be a month in the season and Bateman's going to lead the NFL in targets. And I'm going to be like, oh man, I blew that. That was obvious. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in the Bateman camp. I've been drafting quite a bit of them lately, uh, especially as I've kind of seen how the offense is going to unfold. I mean, you know, I just I don't really expect anything out of Duvernay or Prochet. Uh, they're just going to be, you know, real bit players at best. Uh, you know, so I think I think the passing game is really going to flow through uh, Bateman and Mark Andrews. And, you know, the whole Isaiah Likely thing, that kind of caught me by surprise, too. Um, he was he was not somebody I was really on because with, you know, Okay, so for wide wide receivers, I tend to look at you know what their college production was because I think it's a better indicator. At tight end, um, athleticism tends to to tell you a little bit more about whether a tight end is likely to stick or not. But you know, again, if a you know if a team is going to use somebody, and sometimes relatively unathletic, you know, slow tight ends, if they are if they're really agile, uh, that can make the difference. And uh, you know likely does seem to have that agility, you know, the, the, the ability to get himself open. And so if they're going to run 12 personnel, uh, that means they're going to be putting definitely Bateman, definitely Andrews. I thought they were going to be putting more of a blocking tight end for the other tight, you know, for their other tight end. And 
it looks like they really plan to use more of Andrews and Likely, uh, which kind of really changes up the calculus. For one thing, that's going to knock, um, you know, they're not going to be using both Prochet and Duvernay or, you know, anything like that. It's just going to be one or the other of them. So it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to kind of funnel, I think, a lot of targets in towards Bateman, probably funnel a lot of targets in towards Andrews. But then, you know, likely it's going to be the guy that the defense isn't going to care about. So, you know, and the way he was destroying teams in preseason. And, yeah, he's going up against a lot of backups and everything else. But, uh, you know, I've, in the late rounds, I've gotten interested in likely. How about you? I can see it. You know, it, it's fascinating that they drafted a tight end when they already had Andrews. And I realize tight ends can have different skill sets. Because Andrews was drafted the year they drafted Hayden Hurst. Right. They had that fascinating draft where their first round pick, they took Hurst, and then their first pick in the first round. And then they took Lamar Jackson. And then later they fell into Mark Andrews, who, of course, you know, is really just kind of like a hybrid wide receiver in a lot of ways and, and was a dynamic receiver in college. So I like the I like the lesson of the Ravens that they're not afraid to – some people would be like, well, you have Mark Andrews. What are you drafting a tight end for? You need a receiver. And then, then they saw the ability of likely, and they went that way. And I think they'll be creative using him. And I like the way you applied that. It, it takes – as much as it might be tempting in deeper leagues to be like, oh, I can see Duvernay and Prochet. Somebody's going to emerge there. No, I think there's no winner in that battle. It's just one of them's going to get 65 targets and one of them's going to get 47 targets. They will not matter. Right. Um, you know, Duvernay will run a kickback every once in a while or catch a 75-yard touchdown, and then he'll just be irrelevant for five or six weeks. It just The offense is going to support those guys. But I can see in your tight end premium leagues, in your fishbowl, which is a tight end scoring, I always stock up a lot of tight ends in that league. I, I, I see the case for likely because I think the Ravens, they're smart. They they see this is something that Belichick does, and I realize he's drafted really poorly with skill players, but he does really well with like defensive players a lot of times. Where it's like, it's not don't tell me what he can't do, tell me what he can do, and I'll find a use for that. And I think that's what the Ravens have done with Likely. They see something he can do. They see how he can fit into his their offense. And look, they they've already they've already been. They knew they kind of had to have a knuckleball offense with Lamar Jackson. He's a different player than your classic quarterback, and they were fine with that. Okay, we're not gonna. This is what, where the NFL screwed up a million years ago. Like, Doug Flutie could have been a really good NFL player. He wouldn't have been an MVP, but he would have been, like, a, a plus player for years if somebody was willing to stick their neck out and change the shape of their offense and change the design of their offense, something that we ultimately later saw where, you know, Drew Brees wasn't very tall. He still became a, a very good NFL player, a Hall of Famer, of course. Russell Wilson is really short. You know, Kyler Murray now. You know, Doug Flutie was just ahead of his time. If he came around at a point oh, yeah. where the college and pro games were starting to merge and that the concepts were getting more similar and the, the game was more about spread, was more about the quarterback doesn't have to be in the pocket all the time or we'll find a way to make it so he can see and, and find a throwing lane. Um, you know, Flutie would have been a great player. And obviously he went to Canada and was awesome. But I feel cheated. We could have had a really fun you – know, I thought he was really fun on the Bills for that moment. And then he gets yeah. benched for Rob Johnson, you know? <laughs> Look, I get it. Flutie was too old then to have any real future with the team. I, I get why they did it, and they thought Rob Johnson was something that he wasn't. But it's just interesting that um, now we have a time where teams are proactive, creative, and willing to have a unicorn offense, and that's what the Ravens are all about with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, without a doubt. That that, that makes the game a lot more fun for us in fantasy, too, because it, it, it you know kind of forces us to think out of the box a little bit along with the coaches. Um you know, so we, we, we can't just go back to the, you know, same old tried and true formulas. Um, what do you, let, let's get into uh, some of the, some of these offenses that have been a lot better. Uh, Packers, the passing game. I mean, I think we, you know, we all believe that uh, Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon are going to be just fine on the ground. You know, that's a great rushing attack. 
What are they going to be doing through the air, Scott? What do you think? I'm not sure. I, I really care. I'm not drafting Aaron Rodgers. Um, really? I, I have some Lazard. Um, I hate that um, his name escapes me. The first receiver they picked has just a lot of Chris, Chris, Yeah, Christian Watson. Watson, yeah. I almost called him Walker, but Christian Watson. Just it, it, He's had a lost summer. Uh, you know, dubs, dubs, depending on the day you hear, you hear good news and bad news on him. You know, at one point Rogers called out all his young receivers said, these guys are running bad routes. They're making the wrong adjustments. And I get it. You can coach these guys up. Maybe they'll be second half players. You know, a lot of times you see that where a player can need some time to, to fill, fill something out, to figure something out. But uh, I have a fair amount of Aaron Jones. I think he's a really good second round pick and I'm actually totally fine with the AJ Dillon ADP aggressively avoiding Rodgers. And look, I realize, look, he's one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. He's won the MVP two years running. Initially, they denied that he was blindsided by the Adams move, but then it's since come out, at least sure seems like that he didn't know that Adams wasn't coming back. And I think it's going to be a lot of Aaron Rodgers giving the side eye to his, his teammates or throwing his hands up, you know, or, or throwing a football and just, just bounces in the turf. And the announcer goes, oh, you know, I don't think Aaron Rodgers thought he was going to break that route off right there. And, you know, that's why he's thrown to a spot. He thinks, he, you know, Devontae Adams would have been there. Jordy Nelson would have been there. You know, but uh, these inexperienced receivers, they haven't run enough routes with him. The only guy I can kind of, if we were drafting together, if you were pro Alan Lazard, I'd at least listen to it. I see the case. I mean, he, at least he's he's already in the circle of trust to some extent. Rodgers has always championed him playing more. I could see maybe Lazard percolates up to like 970 and 7 or something like that, where he's like wide receiver 4-ish, maybe a, a low-end wide receiver 3, but that's about it. I'm going to have a lot of Jones. I'm going to have a fair amount of Dylan, and for the most part, I'm avoiding everybody else. Yeah, I, I guess I'm a little bit more willing to draft Rodgers. Um, you know, he's, he's not uh, the green-white player that he used to be, but I also know, you know, here's a guy who definitely has a good amount of vanity, cares about his stats. Um, something tells me he'll find a way. Uh, you know, he, he, he might uh, stomp around like a little child for a couple, three weeks, but eventually, you know, he, he wants to win. And, you know, he, he's good at winning. Um, unless we're talking the playoffs, of course. But um, that's... <laughs> and... and the other thing is that, you know, if you look at what his floor has been, he never gets you less than like, uh, you know, like 20 points per game in fantasy, you know, assuming, uh, you know, four passing touchdowns or whatever. You know, he's always kind of hanging in that top 10, uh, you know, and maybe I don't necessarily see the path, but I, you know, there's been times where I haven't necessarily seen the path in the past either. So I'm, I'm more willing to give him a little bit of a pass. I'm not going to. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to proactively draft him, but if he drops and, um, you know, he's kind of going in that tier with, uh, you know, Carr and Cousins right now. Um, do you have a favorite out of that tier? Yeah, I have. I'll, I'll say to, to close the book on Rodgers, you, you could, somebody could reasonably say, well, when have you lost money on Aaron Rodgers? When have you regretted having Aaron Rodgers? But I think you also could have said that about Tom Brady. And then at the end of his New England career, he just had such pedestrian help around him. And granted, we, we do like the Green Bay running backs. And there's nobody who doesn't like that combination of Jones and Dylan on some level. And they can, you know, Jones can catch it. Dylan isn't a zero in the passing game, even though he was in college. So we have to respect those guys. But I think this is a case where Rogers just, he needs some help. You, you need to have some difference makers. So they just don't have them. As far as Carr and 
Cousins. I'm drafting a lot of those guys, uh, especially in, in two quarterback rooms or, shoot, or best ball rooms, super flex rooms. I actually have an uncomfortable amount of Derek Carr at this point, and I, I think I have too much. To the point that if I'm car, if I'm at a coin flip with car, involving Derek Carr, I'm ready to start taking the other guy just to, to balance myself out a little bit more. But I less love that they can be dragged by guys. You know, I think Kirk Cousins has always been misunderstood. He's a little bit better than average, um, to like almost like a borderline Pro Bowl guy. He's not going to be the MVP of the league. You're not going to win a championship probably with him unless everything else goes right. But he's good. And even if he's not good, he may throw a seven-yard slant to Justin Jefferson, and Jefferson might house it. And he's got a really good red zone chemistry with Adam Thielen. And even though Thielen's way too old to be drafted proactively, I, I keep getting into rooms where nobody wants Adam Thielen, and I'm taking him with my wide receiver four or even my wide receiver five. I'm fine with that. Um, I'm just, again, just looking to get on base. I hope my other receivers are the really exciting guys, and Thielen can have another boring 945, eight touchdown, ten touchdown season, which I think he can do. But Cousins can be dragged by by Cook. He can be dragged by Jefferson. I would hope Irv Smith one of these years can stay healthy because I really think there's a good football player there, but you need to be on the field. In the case of of um, Carr, hate the offensive line. Won't draft Josh Jacobs on a bet. I don't think they like <laughs> Jacobs either. They've already made it clear they're probably moving on from him. So what do you have here? Adams and Carr, they, they go back to Fresno State. That was a long time ago. But look, at least they know each other already. At least there's some familiarity there. At least they didn't have to be like, oh, what's your phone number? What kind of routes do you like to run? You know, what do you what do you like to eat on Wednesday night? They already they already know all that stuff. And Devontae Adams is a dynamic touchdown scorer. He's an unbelievable player in space. And while we'll never see the Rodgers Adams, I, I feel I weep for the Rodgers Adams routes we won't see anymore because that was just so beautiful. But I got to figure that mm-hmm. Carr and Adams can be some version of that, just a, just a lower version of that. I think Hunter Renfro is just in some circles. I don't understand why. I mean, he wins on option routes. He wins on third down. He's just made to have 100 catches. And I realize it may be 100 catches for 920 yards, and that frustrates some people. But that's not going away. And even though Darren Waller makes me a little bit nervous, just his age and his physical history, he's still a really good tight end. This could be a team where the offensive line is substandard, and when your offensive line is not great, it's easier to mask it in the passing game than the running game. I don't like their running backs anyway. I think they're going to be in a lot of high-scoring games. Carr is, again, kind of like Cousins. You know, Is he sexy MVP candidate? No. You going to win a championship with him? Probably not. Can he be a top 10, top 12 quarterback even with almost no rushing ability or no rushing you know, juice? Yeah, I think he can be because he's got really good pieces. And in the case of the Raiders, I think they're going to throw it 600-plus times. I think they're going to be one of the top 10 teams in proactively throwing the ball or maybe even reactively throwing it because they're behind by 17 points. So uh, I've been drafting Adams a fair more than I thought I would. When Adams left, I thought, okay, I'm probably siding towards being out on Adams. And I've, I've since kind of gotten back in on Adams because I just think he's in and realize he's getting close to that age too, where you get start getting nervous, but maybe it's a, another year of relevance for him where he can get 13 or 14 touchdowns. I'm ready to start backing off the car because I have too much of it. But I think Carr in, especially in like home leagues where there's nothing sexy about him. And you, I bet in some home leagues, he'll just be sitting in the green room, you know, sipping a drink, checking his text messages. Nobody wants to talk to him. And, and and the people who took quarterbacks early will be like, how did you get Derek Carr, you know, in the 13th round or something like that? Because in a home league, nobody's going to care. He's just going to, he's just not sexy at all. He's got a bad haircut. You know, he's just got an ordinary name. You know, he, he even had a brother who played, you know, David Carr, Derek Carr. Why do parents, give their kids names that sound similar. You know, Jared Weaver and, 
and Jeff Weaver. You know, give them different names, different first letters. But um, yeah, boring, bore, all boring team, right? Minnesota and Vegas. You got Adam Thielen, all boring team. Derek Carr, all boring team. I wouldn't want a team of all boring. I wouldn't want my team to be exactly all boring guys, but I certainly have a soft spot for those guys. Yeah, for sure. And 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 in fairness, both those teams have a lot of sizzle with their uh, lead wide out, you know, and yes, Justin Jefferson sure. and uh, Devontae Adams. Yeah, I really like Carr or uh, Cousins, I should say, just simply because of the fact that, um, you know, as a Vikings fan, I'm a lot more iffy on Cousins, but as a as a uh, fantasy football owner, player, uh, I'm much more interested in, uh, in Cousins because he sometimes gets himself into situations and sometimes that Vikings defense gets him into situations where he's just got to throw the ball. And, um, you know, he has also gotten, uh, you know, he's been a top 12 quarterback multiple times, uh, you know, and nobody really pays any attention to that. And now he's getting, you know, and, and he was doing some of that with uh, Zimmer as his head coach, who was just, you know, basically it's come out that, uh, you know, Zimmer didn't care for Cousins at all. Uh, you know, that not that that was a big surprise to anybody here in Minnesota, but, um, you know, it, it, it is one of those situations where he's gotten an upgrade in offense this year, I think. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm interested to see how that comes out. And I think he's a little bit of a cheat code if um, you wait on quarterback and you just say, you know what, I'm not taking a quarterback until it's time for Cousins to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's... I, I think he could probably, um, you know, get right up there in the, you know, top seven or eight signal callers. Um, Emphatic I don't think that's unreasonable. He, he, he could be what people expect Tom Brady to be or Russell Wilson to be or something like that. He, he can definitely jump a tier. Right. Because people are, again, there's just nothing sexy about him. And this offense, as you were alluding to, they're getting a remodel. This, this is like a, your favorite restaurant that needed to be repainted like five years ago. And Mike Zimmer, look, he was a good coach, but he's not the kind, he's not like the kind of guy you can have because he's a defensive coach and he runs kind of hot. He's just not like a 15-year answer at head coach. You know, I, I would hire Mike Zimmer to be my defensive coordinator immediately. I don't know if I'd ever hire him again to be a head coach. I'm not sure he has the right temperament for it, but he's still a smart guy. But, man, did they need to get him out of here. And, oh, yeah. the, play, and the players, I'm sure they're just kind of tuning him out. They're just a bad fit. And when you're, your quarterback and your coach – you don't need to be best friends. You, in fact, you can't really can't be best friends. You can't be riding in the stadium together. But you know, the the days of Bob Phillips and, and Ken Stabler, you know, wearing cowboy hats and going to the honky tonk together—that's long gone. But um, you need to respect each other. And there probably was a loss of respect between those two guys. And I'm sure everybody in this offensive room can't wait to have a coach who has some new ideas because they're just sick of playing with you know they're sick of playing with the. the the motion offense that Bobby Knight was running in 1976. It just, it feels like they had a dated program and they have exciting young players. You know, Justin Jefferson is one of the most exciting receivers in the league. He, he could be on the magazine covers next year. And then by the way, I'm curious how you come down on chase versus Jefferson, because I, I was clearly Jefferson to begin the year. And now I'm like, I, I think I need a little bit of chase to balance that out. I'm also not sure if I should be having them. I had a cup with the Stafford stuff, but anyway, the remodel comes in Minnesota. It's glorious. And I love what you said about Cousins. If you're in a one, forget all the super flex stuff. If you're in a one quarterback league and you want to wait in the position, play the Kirk Cousins game. If you can land him, you've done well. Right. And and even in super flex, you know, he, he's a little bit of a cheat code if you grab your second quarterback early. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can have two basically elite starters 
uh, you know, if you do well with your first quarterback. That's a common so, build, too. The yeah. Last in and then the first in on the second guy. Right, exactly. So that's, you know, that's a great way to go. Um, I, I am definitely, I don't know if I could ever get myself. I think Jamar Chase might in some ways be a better receiver than Justin Jefferson, but Justin Jefferson, I think, is always going to have better productivity. I don't know how that makes sense at all, but <laughs> somehow, I mean, Jefferson is just, I don't know, he's he, he's a little bit more firmly the alpha in his room, for one thing. And, uh, you know, with T. Higgins, you know, I T. Higgins is a, a great receiver in his own right. You know, much better than Adam Thielen is at this point. And, yeah. you know, well, there's some... The, how did the Packers ever let people like T. Higgins go, oh, man? Imagine God. him. Aaron Rodgers would have played to his 50 if he had T. Higgins. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, like, T. Higgins is probably what drags me off of putting Chase ahead of Jefferson more it. than anything. Yeah, there's just know. not much gap there. T. Higgins, in any given day, T. Higgins can be the target monster in Cincinnati. You look at a box score and Higgins has 14 targets and Chase has seven, you're not going to like throw, right. th- throw your phone against the wall. But if, if Thielen has 14 targets and Jefferson has seven, you're going to be like, what are they doing? I thought, we were, I, th- I thought this team was smart. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, that's... That that's a great way to put it, uh, you know. And the, and the thing is, I mean, you know, Higgins and, and Chase are they're super different as receivers, but they each fill such a role so well on that team. And depending on how they're defended, uh, you know, I think it can kind of swing back and forth between the you're, two. Yeah, a it's bit. interesting you say this. I, I noticed that you had Joe Burrow as a as a red light quarterback, and you've just said a lot of nice things about Chase and Higgins. Explain <laughs> your reluctance to draft Burrow. So my reluctance to draft Burrow is more based on uh, the fact that he had an enormous amount of touchdown luck last year. Um, I think that in a, in a vacuum, um, they want to keep their offense a little bit more balanced. Uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong on this, and maybe they just unleash Burrow and say, you know what, go go play Sandlot Ball. Um, and if they do, I'm going to be horribly wrong on Burrow. But I just I kind of feel like. He got, you know, everything kind of fell into place for him, kind of Debo Samuel-like, um, you know, that everything just fell into place for him last year. I'm not sure if it's going to go quite as smoothly this year. And given the other quarterbacks that you can get around the same price range as Burrow, that's what keeps me off of Burrow. I, I see more chance for him to maybe take that step down. Maybe I'm, you know, I could be off on that, like I say. Maybe it's just my personal preference, but, um, you know, I'm more willing to draft pretty much anybody else around Burrow than I am Burrow himself. Uh, though I do have a few Burrow teams, because of course, when you have a ton of teams, you gotta you For gotta sure. take everybody. I uh, realize this is kind of a almost like a bit at this point, but one of the problems with quarterback is with the top ten guys is you're always going to feel like you can get a similar quarterback a little bit cheaper. It's like. Oh hey, this room's waiting on quarterback. Maybe I should take Josh Allen. Well, wait a minute. I could just wait around and take Justin Herbert. He could be as good as Josh Allen. Okay, I'll do that. Well, wait a minute. Patrick Mahomes is still here. Why wouldn't I want Patrick Mahomes? Okay, I'll do that. Oh, wait a minute. Tom Brady's still got a lot of great pieces around. Well, Lamar Jackson's a cheat code, and Jalen Hurts is a cheat code, and you just do that all day. Eventually, you have to set, at some point you have to draw a line in the sand. And say, I'm going to take somebody. Um, but I get it with Burrow because the guys who go after him a round or two, they're just not that different from Burrow, and so it just feels like. It, it's one of those things where if you took Burrow, a lot of times you're going to regret it, especially if the room pulls back on quarterback and then somebody really gets a deal. And you're like, wow, they just got a guy who I think is really equivalent to Burrow. 
and they mm-hmm. paid a lot less for it. And obviously the opportunity cost that you paid the other position you could have attacked, uh, you know, that comes into play. So I totally see that. Uh, I, I, one guy I definitely want to ask you about, it's always frustrating when I see a player and I think he's going to the moon, but everybody else thinks that too. And I don't know what to do with it. And Michael Pittman's a guy like that for me. He has a okay rookie year, has a good second year. I thought Carson Wentz was, was really bad last year and the stats kind of gloss it over, but if you watched him, you saw all the plays he left on the field. Matt Ryan is obviously on the back nine of his career. I mean, he's like the 16th, 17th hole of his career, but he's better than Wentz. And the Colts know he's better than Wentz. And Pittman is the target hog here, but teams are going to be, you know, loading up to try to stop Jonathan Taylor. I, I like Frank Reich as a coach. I think Ryan has something left. Unfortunately, I'm not, I think it's a mistake. When Pittman goes in the second round, I think it's a mistake. But anytime you can take him in the third round, I don't care what the slot is. I think it's a good pick. I'm glad that I have Pittman already uh, banked so that if I go low on Pittman, that, you know, look, I've been talking a lot about Pittman, the leagues I'm in where to come where people know what I have, you know, people print out my sheets and like, you know, mock me with them. You know, maybe I won't get any Pittman down the road. I, I just feel like everybody loves Pittman. And what do you do with a player when everybody loves him? It's just hard to make a profit on him. But yet I, I still think Michael Pittman is like going to be like wide receiver eight at the end of the season. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly it. I mean, you know, sometimes I think it's okay to just, you know, to, to take the easy, uh, you know, shot that, that the rest of the league is giving you, uh, you know, you don't have to crush every pick. Um, you know, if, if you just get a good solid value with a pick, and I think Pittman in the third is one of those, you know, it's a good solid value. Is he going to win you your league? Probably not. But can he be a valuable contributor on a team that wins a league? I think so. You're building um, a foundation. You're putting a brick down. It's like golf. Sometimes par right. is a good score, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, so you just, you, you have to have a few players like that on your team that you can count on that, you you know, that, you know, they're going to get the targets and all that, you know, we, we can't control the outcomes of the results, obviously, uh, you know, Pittman can have a, a, a seven point game, uh, you know, probably happen at some point this year. But the thing is, you know, we, we want him to be getting, you know, eight plus targets. And if he's getting eight plus targets every week and uh, 10 plus on most weeks and, you know, 13 or 14 plus every now and then, we're going to be pretty happy with uh, with the results, I think. I also love where he is, career arc. I mean, you and I right. are old enough to, to remember when year three for a receiver was when you first wanted to get in on a player. It's like, okay, let give them two years to figure it out. If they're really good, maybe year two I'll be in. But usually it was like, oh, year three. It was like the, you know, once upon a time, the third date was the really important date. I'll leave it at that. But, um, man, I'm old. But... <laughs> But I love that Pittman, you know, did a little bit as a rookie, was yep. really good last year. I mean, I'm guessing he must have been like receiver 17 or 19 or something like that. And with Carson Wentz playing dreadful, I really thought dreadfully. I know you can look at the stats and be like, wait a minute. His rating was pretty good. He had a bunch of interceptions dropped. And there were a lot of games where it's like, you know, Chris Consul like, you know, this should have been a touchdown. Michael Pittman was open, you know, and Carson Wentz never sees him. And then the ball comes five seconds late and... You know, I just feel like there was a lot of that. And, and I realize it's a leap of faith to, to say Matt Ryan's going to make it all better. But Matt Ryan's an improvement. He doesn't have to be great. He's better. The team knows it. And the, the, the distribution of the targets, the way this offense is structured, you know, Pittman, he could easily be a top five targeted receiver this year. And it, even if he's not quite that lofty, they're going to, he's going to be the featured guy here in the passing game. Do you, tell me this. I, you talk a lot about tight end premium. We're always looking for a tight end to break out. I have... 
periodically bet on Mo Alley Cox and generally lost on it because he's just never been on the field consistently enough, and they've had Jack Doyle types who get in the way. Is it finally go time? And when I say go time, he's probably going outside the top 20 in tight end ADP. He's just like a lottery ticket. He's a sleeper. He's a late-round guy. But uh, are you optimistic? I didn't check if, if what your traffic light was on Mo Alley Cox. What are you doing with him? I think he is a, a safety option. Uh, I don't think he has any great upside. I think he's going to be more of a Jack Doyle. Okay. I mean, and I, I saw you know an interview with him a couple days ago where he he basically said, "Yeah, I'm getting the Jack Doyle stuff." Uh, you know, I think if there is a you know to to put another Colts tight end name down, if there's an Eric Ebron, it's going to be Kylan Granson. But you know, again, that's uh, I, I I think that's unlikely that Granson can pull off an Ebron, uh, to say the least, but he would fit more in that role. Um, who's a frisky, uh, who's a frisky tight end outside the top 10? Is, is it Everett? Is it Ingram? I, I know if you want a single, maybe it's Hooper, but I mean, is there like a, do you see a guy who could leap a lot? Who's, who's going kind of late? Um, a couple guys. I mean, I think Everett definitely, uh, has a plausible path, but I'm a little bit worried because I just don't think he's ever going to be better than third on the the target tree. Um, you know, a couple guys that, I really like. That might be a reach. I mean, they have two good receivers and Eckler. That's a lot off the table right away. Right. And then Palmer, um, yeah, you know, is getting too, better. For sure. So, you know, Everett's one of those guys I take more as a safe guy, but, um, you know, I, I, I can sort of see the path if I squint. Evan Ingram, I like a lot. And I know I, I get a lot of crap for it because, I mean, you know, we've, we've all seen him uh, with his stone hands, you know, dropping pass after pass. Every, but, Evan Ingram owes everybody money. Let's face it. Yes, he does. There's no question about it. it but I'm, I'm buying in again, just basically because the price is cheap. He's going to an offense. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was throwing to the tight ends left and right last year. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, they were, they were signing guys off the street. They were leading the team in targets uh, the very next week. Uh, and then, you know, Doug Peterson has always designed an offense that, you know, flows you know, a lot of targets through the tight end as well. So Ingram is somebody that I definitely like, but probably my, my best uh, pick for a really late, really cheap Brevin Jordan, um, you know, and he could end up going absolutely nowhere. But the nice thing is you're going to know within a couple three weeks, you know, what you've got. And, you know, if it's not right, you move on. Um, but I, I like looking for my upside there, especially in tight end premium, because I don't think, you know, if you draft the Travis Kelsey, if you draft Mark Andrews, you're not really gaining a huge leg up on the field because of what you're giving up at wide receiver or running back, right? Um, you know, so you've got to, you know, they have to smash, or otherwise you're falling behind. Um, whereas if you if you let other people take those players and then you sit back and wait and you say, you know what, I'm going to take Cole Komet because I know he's going to get uh, 100 plus targets. I'm going to take uh, Evan Ingram because I think uh, he could be a sneaky piece. I'm going to take a Brevin Jordan uh, because of, you know, the fact that he's super cheap and I'll know really fast whether he's, you know, going to be good or not. But I mean, Brevin Jordan could be second on that team in targets. Uh, you know, I, I I like Nico Collins. I think he's an interesting case for a breakout player, but I'm not willing to say that Nico Collins is going to be a, a better target for Davis Mills than uh, Brevin Jordan is. You know, we know Cooks is going to be great, but, you know, somebody else has got to step into that void. And I think it's possible that Davis Mills might be a quality player. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, Davis Mills is one of those, 
he's he's really my safety in uh, you know like uh, best ball leagues or you know super flex things like that. He he's a guy that I like getting. You know, once we get back down past quarterback twenty four, you know, and everybody's getting into their third quarterbacks. You know, and people you know some people are going Carson Wentz and some people are going Baker Mayfield. I'm like, man, I'll just wait even a little bit later and take Davis Mills. Um, I, I think love that. I love that. You say Baker Mayfield. Let me ask you this. This is something that's always driving us crazy. We know DJ Moore is a good football player. DJ Moore doesn't score touchdowns largely because he's been playing with such poor quarterback play. Baker Mayfield, again, I talked about Goff you know, being a disappointment at, at 101 overall in the NFL, but you know, not being a stiff. Mayfield was maybe a, a slight disappointment in his Cleveland days, but he wasn't bad. He had his moments. And then last year he was hurt, and a lot of things went wrong with Cleveland. He obviously had a horrible year. I think at some point they just should have said, look, a healthy Case Keenum is better than a hurt Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And they were reluctant to do that. I don't know that Baker Mayfield's ever going to be great again. I don't know if he's ever going to run the commercial market the way he did the last year or two. But, <laughs> man, he's got to be better than Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold, right? Is this the year? And look, and in a lot of leagues, so what? You're not you know, it's one quarterback league. You don't want Baker Mayfield. That's fine. Maybe even Superflex. You don't want him. That's fine. I'm just asking for selfish reasons. Can we finally get this DJ Moore thing off the ground? I would love it. I mean, you know, I I think my question has always been, you know, is, is Baker Mayfield really good at throwing touchdowns or not? You know, and I, you know, it's a weird question to ask, um, but. We've just never seen him other than his rookie year when when uh, defenses didn't really understand him. We did we haven't seen him throw that many touchdowns. Um, I think he can run the offense a lot better than uh, Sam Darnold or you know Matt Corral could have before he went on IR. But I'm not, I don't think he's great. But is he good enough for DJ Moore? That that's a question that I'm wrestling with. Just everybody as much as you. Um, you know, I, and I think DJ Moore is not going to like, you know, seriously disappoint us. He's going in the, um, you know, basically in the fourth round, uh, fifth round sometimes kind of depends on what, what sort of league you're in. But, um, DJ, DJ Moore is one of those players that he's going to get his hundred catches and, you know, the touchdowns are going to tell the story. And I'm, I'm just not sure that he's going to get those touchdowns. So I'm drafting some, but, uh, you know. You never know. Things could break right, and, uh, you know, he could have one of those uh, 10 touchdown seasons. While we're in Carolina, where do you come down on Taylor versus McCaffrey? Um, I think McCaffrey has the higher upside. Um, I think Taylor has a much safer floor. Agreed. So it, it really So what do you do? On... You're on the clock at one. And I realize that because of the volume you play in, you're going to draft both of those both. guys yes. some of the time. But if... Um, Let's just say you and I, somebody gifted you and I a, a an entry into a $1 million league. This is our one shot. There's no diversification here. We got the 101 pick. And um, let's just say for the sake of argument, we decided we're not going to consider anybody else, no, no receiver or whatever. And it's going to be Taylor or McCaffrey. What do we do? I'm going to take, I mean, if it's a, if it's a, a single shot at a million dollars, I'm probably taking McCaffrey there. Uh, if I'm in... You know, a home league versus my buddies, or a you know some kind of a other contained league. I might lean a little bit more towards Taylor, uh, just because of that safety, and he's got a high enough ceiling every week. Um, you know, and he's got that great offensive line and everything else. So, um, I like you know, the way you frame that. You know, the the more you respect your competition, 
Now, now, on one hand, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here because I think the idea, I think there are some people in our industry who have tried to impart the wisdom that you get to be a daredevil with every pick and, and forget floor and we don't know who's going to get hurt anyway. Just swing for the fences 20 times and then your draft's over. And I don't agree. I can't, I see the soul of that and I under, and I appreciate it. And on some levels, I'll apply that because certainly some of your picks have to be upside. You know, the, there's a point where your draft becomes all upside because what's the point of taking a, you know, trying to hit a single in the late rounds, I, I, all format dependent. There's actually some leagues where if you have a, a heavy amount of starters or if you have very limited waiver um, uh, availability, like some leagues you can only make a certain amount of pickups or something, then, then floor picks actually have some value. And I actually like leagues that put in rules that allow for some floor picks. You know, I always call them Muhammad Sanu leagues where it's like, you know, okay, I got 800 yards and five touchdowns, and that's good in this league because it's like there's no pickups. I'm in a league where we draft 400 guys. There's no pickups. If you can just find a, the Jacoby Myers, you know, yep. mini breakout of 70 catches for 748 yards and three touchdowns, it helps you. But we're in, in a common fantasy league where there's no upside for players like that. They don't help you. So uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, it, it's just funny that you said Jacoby Myers because that was exactly the name that was in my mind when you were talking about that kind of player. He's become the new Sanu, right? To it's the point that definitely. he's even maybe better at throwing the touchdown pass than he is at catching the <laughs> touchdown pass, much like Mohamed Sanu, one of the all-time great passers in NFL history. Um, man, he's, I, I don't know why they didn't do more of that. And the Patriots sure love. They love anybody who played quarterback, right? Oh, yeah. You know, Julian Edelman, Jacoby Myers, you know, they, they love their, uh, their former quarterbacks. But anyway... Upside floor, the more you respect, if you're in a room where everybody's got it, you know, got the game pretty well, you know, they're, they're good at it. They're, they're a strong player. You need more to go right to win that league, where if you're in a league of idiots, you're going to win a lot by just doing your, doing your homework, showing up on the waiver wire every week. You know, if you're in a casual league where people are going to lose interest, the bad teams aren't going to be setting lineups, not everybody's making free agent picks every week. I, I had a, a, a friend of a friend, two people who were not fantasy players were getting in an office league one year and they wanted me to help them out. And I set up a cheat sheet for them and it had like an index code and who to pick. And they called me during the draft and I helped them out. And halfway through the season, they actually just said to me, um, we don't know who to pick up this week. Can you just log into our team and, and see who the free agents are? And I said, yeah, sure. I'll put in some bids for you. And so I put in like four or five bids and we got everybody we wanted because, you know, 80% of the league wasn't participating. And, uh, you know, right. we rolled through a championship. And, and look, I realize that anybody who's listening to this podcast is probably a competitive player, which means you've migrated into more challenging leagues and more challenging contests. You're, you're maybe spending more money on it. So you're not, that's not going to be your experience. You're not in a league where you get everybody you want. You're, you're, you know, your league's harder than that, which is, which is fine. We all play in different leagues of different sophistication levels. The more you respect your opponents, the more, the harder they are to beat, the more I think you have to be open to. Yeah, you know what? McCaffrey's had two down seasons, but he's the moon guy here. I want McCaffrey. If it's more of a, I'm going to beat them because I show up and I do my job and I'm a good player and the other people are either not as good as me or they're not as committed to me, I'd probably be more likely to go Taylor. Although somebody might say, well, they'll take McCaffrey. You'll overcome it anyway if, if it goes Kablooey on you. And I see it. But if you think you're if you think you're the favorite to win the league, I'm more likely to be the Taylor guy. If you think you're trying to win a contest and you need that magic thing to happen, I'm more likely to be the McCaffrey guy. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, given, given my choice, I might actually take uh, pick number three and, and, and say, you know what, you can have pick one, 
somebody else can have pick two. I'll take pick three. I'll take Justin Jefferson. Um, and I'll pick before both of you guys on the way back in the second round. And Is that your preferred slot? What slot would you take? Um, knowing nothing else about your opponents and you, you got the, you won the KDS. What slot are you taking? I like three or four or five because you can, you can basically get Jefferson cup and chase in those slots. You literally love the player you get. Yeah. You're going to love the player you get. Once you get to six, then all of a sudden, you know, now you're you're looking at a 27-year-old uh, Austin Eckler. You're looking at, you know, it, I, I think it takes a step down at that point. So I, I like the top five. Uh, but if I'm not going to be in the top five, then I want to be somewhere on the 10, 11, 12 so that I get that early second round pick. And, you know, I can take a, you know, Dalvin Cook and a Saquon or a Saquon and a, a Swift or, you know, Diggs and, you know, CD Lamb, you know, the the, op, the options are pretty endless down there, and you could put together a, a quite a good variety of different builds from that area, and um, you know, it, it looks pretty good. I just don't like being in that six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, just doesn't appeal to me too much. I I struggle a little bit more with builds there. What about you? I like picking three three four sounds really good to me. Three four five for a couple different reasons. One, I'm going to love my first player. I'm going to get a really good player in the second third rounds and then at that point you know, after like once you get in the fourth and fifth rounds it's going to be very common where the players start to look the same and the player you consider in the fifth round is still there in the sixth round or, or a player you, you you don't take last two more rounds because and you can't take them because you filled the position or whatever it is the, the point is that talent drops off so significantly that usually picking early and getting three of your players before most people is a good idea the other thing about picking three four or five is i like being able to use the neighborhood context uh, to my advantage, meaning like say I'm picking fourth and it, it the, the draft is going from 12 down to one. When it gets to me and I need to make a decision between two players, I can look at teams one, two, and three, their roster construction, and at least make an inference on what they might do. And it might enable me to play the arbitrage game well because I, I they already have a certain roster construction and I can make a good guess on what they may or may not pick. It's not always perfect, and some people will, will draft in a screwy way and it will mess you up. But I like having that in as something I can consider during the draft. I really don't like drafting first or 12th because I feel like the draft gets away from me sometimes. Uh, and I know some people love picking in pairs. Some people love being on the end. They would actually choose those spots. I, I prefer not to be on the end. I don't mind if I'm near the end, but I don't like the actual end piece. Um, again, with you know, this year, the fact that we, we didn't have a clear answer on Taylor and McCaffrey is all the reason to not want to draft first because you're not, what are you really losing if you move down a little bit? Uh, three, four, and five are the slots I prefer. Uh, and those are some of the reasons why. One thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Debo Samuel, I said he was the best player I didn't want to draft, although Derrick Henry's kind of close to me there too. Between the tackles guy, all sorts of attrition, all, all so many things in Tennessee pointing the wrong direction. Somehow they were the number one seed last year. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I'm, I don't even see his name. On my board, but you know he's still Derek freaking Henry. I mean, he was like running back fourteen last year, and he missed like half the season. Who's the best? I'm curious what you think about Henry, and also just who were like some of the great players who you're not eager to draft. Um, you know, yeah, for Henry, um, he he's definitely somebody that I'm not eager to draft uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, I'm I'm a little bit hesitant on Najee Harris as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because I'm a little bit concerned about how that offense is going to go. Uh, he's not the most efficient player in the world. And, you know, so I, 
I don't know. I, I there's just always a better answer that I like about around the area where he's going. I'd much rather get a receiver, or, you know, if DeAndre Swift or or somebody that uh, you know I think has real lead winning upside in their range of outcomes. Harris is Harris is that guy who's you know he's he's a little bit like Michael Pittman, but Michael Pittman goes in a place where it's hard to find that guy you really think has true lead winning upside. Whereas with where Najee Harris is going. Uh, you definitely should be able to find that kind of player. So uh, that's that's the difference for me. Um, wide receiver, I you know, there's not too many shy away guys for me other than Debo, Tyreek. I don't really like the uh, Miami passing game at all. I don't really have a, a lot of faith in Tua uh, to do what needs to be done. I don't really have a lot of faith that uh, uh, McDaniel wants to even pass that much. Uh, you know, I think he'd rather run the ball as much as he can and play a little bit of hide and seek with Debo and, uh, you know, unleash Tyreek, you know, from time to time, uh, you know, but with Jalen Waddle there too, and Tyreek kind of getting, you know, over that, uh, you know, past the age apex, you know, there's, there's definitely reasons to be concerned with Tyreek. I'd rather draft Waddle at his ADP than Tyreek at his. I don't know I'll how you feel about that. Once. I, I just don't know if two is good and Hill's being drafted as if two is definitely good if not very good, I, I can see the headline in October, you know, um, friends of Tyreek Hill say, you know, receiver regrets ever leaving Kansas city. And, and, <laughs> and it's saying that, by the way, let, let me, again, one, one thing I wanted to get from you, I think the hardest team to figure, like I can talk about, I don't know like what the giants receivers are going to shake down as, but whatever. If I don't, if I don't find the right giants receiver, I'll live. And maybe there isn't a right Giants receiver. I know Patrick Mahomes is a god. And I know Andy Reid is brilliant. And I got a figure. Look, we, we know Kelsey is Kelsey. And although I'm not really drafting Kelsey, but, you know, I respect Kelsey. He's a walking Hall of Famer. He's going to probably do what he does. He's just getting to the age where I get a little concerned about a tight end. But that, that's fine. If you want Kelsey, I'm not going to tell you no. But I got to figure Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are so good that they make somebody, whether it's one of the running backs, it's one of the receivers, and there's so much personnel changing here. I get to figure like there's a really, I'm going to look back and, and smack my head and say, why didn't I have more of that guy on Kansas City? And I, I've really struggled. At one point I thought maybe I'll be in on Juju. And well, they did give MVS a lot of money. And you know, Pacheco has, has risen up the board. And I think everybody's kind of like, well, they don't really like CEH and he's MEH. And you know, he never should have gone in the first round and all this stuff. I get a figure like there's a right answer somewhere in Kansas City. I don't know who it is. I maybe it's, maybe it's Juju. I don't know. Give me some clarity to, to how you're playing the Chiefs. <laughs> I, I'm pretty much in the same spot you are, Scott. I mean, I don't have a lot of clarity on it. Uh, you know what? I, what I can tell you is I'm not drafting Ceh. Um, me neither. Just can't bring myself to do it. Um, That's my most you know, confident take. Is I'm not taking him. <laughs> I can give you that with conviction. There you go. Yeah, same thing. I mean, you know, because you know with that. Ever since Mahomes and Reed started, you know, since Mahomes started playing for Reed, that running game has been just like an undecipherable mess. And so I'm definitely not taking the most expensive guy out of an undecipherable mess. Um, I loved it when Pacheco was going cheap. I was on him early. I got uh, quite a few cheap shares. He's now getting chased up into the place where it's uh, it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit tougher to take him. You know, when you're talking about Ninth, tenth round. Um, that's that's a tough place to take a running back like that. 
you know, what I am doing is I'm taking a lot of Jarek McKinnon late just because, you know, I think he is going to have a role on the offense. I think he's going to have some high-value touches. Um, he's not a player I'm going to ever feel good about inserting on my starting lineup, but also if I'm in a jam, uh, there are a lot worse options out there. So, And if anything happens to either of the other two, uh, McKinnon's probably in a lot better spot as well. So, And as far as the passing game goes, yeah, I mean, obviously Kelsey is Kelsey. Um, Juju, the you know, his... Preseason injury here definitely worries me a little bit. Um, I don't know that MVS really has what it takes to become anything more than a, you know, a flex player or somebody you're throwing in, and, you know, for a bye week or something like that. I guess I guess where I have the most hope is Sky Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is a really good prospect. I think uh, you know he's still struggling to find his way a little bit, but I you know if he does find his way this year. He could be a fantastic player, um, you know, with Mahomes throwing him the ball. And especially if they start giving him a little bit of the, you know, some of the Miko Hardman stuff, you know, or what used to be the Tyreek Hill stuff where he's doing end arounds. Because really, getting Hardman out of the way, that's, the, that's where Moore gets into the picture. If he can move Hardman out of the way. And Hardman is definitely a movable object. I think Hardman has moved himself out of the way. I've given up on... <laughs> Hardman ever becoming anything, and I think the the moves, the personnel moves at the Chiefs tell you that they don't have any high hopes for Hardman either. That they think, okay, this guy is just a bottom of the roster gadgety guy who we can't trust to to be reliable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and also, Scott, before I get you out of here, and we, we we do need to get you out of here. I've 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 uh, held on to you far too long here, but uh, it's it, it's been a great conversation. So I really do appreciate it. Um, let Let's talk George Pickens. Yes, let's, show, let's talk George Pickens. Well, I mean, I know your show is a, is a dynasty-based show, and this is going to sound so cop-out-ish what I say, but I, I would love Pickens on all my dynasty rosters, but I, I'm just afraid he may have trouble paying off his rising seasonal ADP because Deontay's still good. Claypool, there's different versions of Claypool. We've seen it, right? I mean, he looked like a different player his first year based, versus his second year, but he's still somebody. He's still there. He's still got some ability. And their quarterbacks might stink. I think George Pickens could be not, not just a, a good NFL player. I think he could be a special player. I think he may be like a top 10 fantasy wideout at some point in his, in his early career arc. I think he's got that kind of upside. But I, I until they get this quarterback thing situated, you know, because Pickett's not ready to play. Uh, Trubisky's still kind of a hot mess. I don't want to see Mason Rudolph on an NFL field anytime. No. Ever again. And you know, Johnson, I kind of struggle with because I think he's a good player. I've never felt like he was like an electric player or an unstoppable player. I always felt like the, the shape of the offense conveniently for him filtered into what he did best. And that's like all Roethlisberger could really do was throw those little cheap little passes to Johnson. Not that Johnson isn't good, but I right. never watched Johnson think, okay, th- this guy like tilts the field or this guy like, oh my God, defensive coordinators are going to be petrified Deontay Johnson. I think he's a nice player. I think ideally he'd be your number two someday. It won't be, I don't think it's going to be this year, but really soon George Pickens is going to be their number one. I would love to have him next year or the year after in seasonal. This year I think he might be a little bit overpriced, although he went in the flex, super flex auction last night, or draft I should say, to Jeff Erickson at a pretty reasonable price. I'm really excited about Pickens. I just think right now it's going to be a lot of, oh, Pickens was open and the pass wasn't there, or 
you know, Pickens just had a great game, but why do you only get four targets? Why is he not playing more? I, I just think he's going to lift off. It's just going to be next season. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit more bullish on the fact that he could lift off this season. Number one, I think, uh, you know, Claypool is, man, that guy's a little bit of a head case. And he definitely seems to be trying to work himself into the doghouse as fast as he can. I don't think he has a second contract coming in Pittsburgh. I realize it's only no. year three for him, but I, I feel like that, that relationship has already gone bad. Yeah, it, it, it definitely has. And, you know, and, and to your point about uh, Deontay Johnson, him and uh, Fryermuth both fit exactly what Roethlisberger was able to still do and what he wanted to do. You know, Roethlisberger was getting rid of that Paul so fast because he knew he was a statue back there. He knew he couldn't, you know, wing it down the field anymore. So he was he was playing the short dink and dunk game, which totally fit what uh, Fryermuth and, and Johnson are good at. Now, Trubisky can wing it down the field quite a bit better. Um, Pickett is all right at that. And Pickens is the kind of guy, you know, if, if Pickens overtakes Claypool, that's kind of the key to me uh, as to whether he's going to be a good draft pick or not. But he's a guy that, like, you know, if I can get Pickens in the ninth or tenth round and he's my fifth receiver, I'm all over that. Because you know what? If I've got five receivers by the tenth round, I'm already turning wide receiver into a pretty good strength on my team. And this is the bully pick. I mean, where I just, All you the know, dice, right? Yep, for sure. Yep. I'm, I'm, you know, if, if this pick works out, I'm going to bully the league or, you know, that that's a strategy that's worked pretty well for me in the past. You know, taking some big swings, ninth, tenth round, uh, you know, sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. But, it, you know, ninth, tenth rounder, if he, if he doesn't pay off, it's not going to kill you. Um, that's what your bench is for. Your bench is right. for who could... You know who who could be whose ADP could be seventy slots higher in next year's cheat sheet. Yes, and, and, I, and I like the idea that you talked about. You know, if Pickens can get past Claypool on on the pecking order, a lot of times in fantasy, that's a whole key. Is if, if can we condense the reasonable target share or touch share on this team? Like I look at a team like Washington, it's like right now it's a mess because you know Gibson is in the doghouse and they drafted Robinson and for some reason who knows why they wanted J D McKissick to come back. <laughs> So it's a mess and it's nebulous. But if we could ever get that to, down to two, you know, you and I started playing fantasy. Where there were so many bell cows in the league, and the running back by committee was the dirty word. But now it's two and three. We can live with like Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon. Nobody has a problem with that. It's right. once we get to three running backs where every the headaches come and the guys become unplayable because we can't project the volume accurately and the guys aren't reliable. So so often it's a matter of can we condense this team or can somebody pass somebody on the depth chart. And then you can give them the type of projection before the game starts where you can actually play them with some measure of confidence. Anyway, your, your take on Pickens is well heard. At some point, you filled out your starters. You may even have like a flex guy on the bench. At that point, you're just trying to go to the moon, man. And if the, if the mission doesn't make it, okay, well, you know what? There's a new rocket ship. You can, you can pick up somebody else, you know, but you're just trying. And we've also talked about it's really hard. You made this point, and I've piggybacked it ever since you made it. Uh, we were talking uh, informally a week or two ago about it's hard to find a cheap receiver who pays off, you know, and, and to the point like guys like Pickens will go in the middle of a draft. The receivers you take late, like you, you take Zay Jones late and I can see it. You're hoping mm-hmm. he make it 790 yards and six touchdowns. That's like he, he paid off. That was good. You know, you're not going to get difference makers at receiver late on the waiver wire where at other positions, any running back, even running backs you've never heard of the moment they move up into a, a starting job and double digit touches, who knows? They could be a running back one or top 15 running back. Receiver doesn't work that way. 
you know, if Tyreek Hill gets hurt tomorrow, it's not like there's a Tyreek Hill beneficiary waiting on the Miami roster. Football isn't structured that way in the passing game. So I think it's important to, whether it's Pickens or whoever it is, you sh- you got to have, once you've already filled your starting lineup, you still have to have upside guys in the middle of your draft who you're, you're, you're thinking, I could see this guy going to the moon, and I'm going to be fine with it if for whatever reason he doesn't make it because, you know, he's inexperienced, his quarterback stinks, the team's playing the wrong guys. You know, there's a million reasons why guys may not pan out. Maybe the player's not that good, although I'm never going to have that problem with George Pickens. But, uh, yeah, once you're filling out that the top of your bench, man, just that's where you're really taking that uppercut swing. And if you strike out, so what? You'll, you'll come up to bat again. Yep, yep, exactly that. And, uh, you know, and, and Pickens has that sort of talent profile that you really want to bet on in those kind of rounds. I even like yeah. his swagger. I think he. Yeah. I, th- I think he. He thinks he's the best player in the field, and you know what? I want him to think that way. Exactly. You know, and the, the way he, uh, he he bullies defensive backs. I mean, <laughs> we we all saw the uh, the little clip of uh, the 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 Seattle cornerback who got ejected by, <laughs> you know, Pickens just gave him a shove and he went flying back about right. ten yards. I mean, you know, that's that's the kind of attitude you love to see out of it, and you know, Mike Tomlin loves to see it. For sure. Uh, you know, out of, out of any coach in the NFL, Tomlin is going to love that kind of stuff. And that's that's one of the reasons why I'm willing to make that bet is because Claypool, when he first came into the league, kind of seemed like he might start trending that way. But yep. then he just sort of turned into a head case. And, you know, Tomlin doesn't have a lot of uh, um, interest in head cases. So, you know. Man, Mike, uh, Tomlin. Mike, Mike Tomlin's the best man. He he's like he the is. best coach that nobody ever talks about being Mi- the best coach. Minnesota, I I swear I to know, God, what, I know, what a lost opportunity when because uh, Tomlin was Childress's defensive coordinator right. and then he went to Pittsburgh, and and me and anybody else who knew anything about football in Minnesota were screaming, just please fire Childress, hire Tomlin, don't let him go anywhere, don't let him go anywhere. This is the guy who gets it, you yeah. know. Yeah, the, the, when Tom was being interviewed, the idea was like, okay, he's this guy's head coach material. It's just going to be a few years down the road. And then he was so magnetic and dynamic in the interview. The Pittsburgh's like, oh my god, this guy could coach our team for the next twenty years. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, Scott, anything else we should cover? We're we're already over a buck thirty, so I apologize for keeping you so long. No, but, my uh, pleasure. I I'm still working on those concise answers. I'm. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's both of us, you know. Uh, we get talking and it just kind of goes that way. But, this uh, is a blast. Thanks so much for having me. By the way, I want to yep. give a shout-out to, I may have said this on previous shows when you've had me, but whoever did your theme song, man, he knocked it out of the park. That song's awesome. I, I mean, I want to download that and get it in my phone so I can just <laughs> randomly have it come up. It's fantastic. And just, just a major props. I, I've known you for a long time. I've known you... I knew you were one of the best players around a long time ago, and you could have easily just, you know, anonymously been a great player, but you, you've made yourself a name in the industry. You're, you're very well respected. Anybody who knows who can really play knows that Dan Williamson's one of those guys. And I just want to say, you know, major props for all the success you've had and the role you've carved out because you've always been on my short list of, you know, the cabinet members when I need a reality check or I, I need a second opinion. I'll listen. I'll listen to a lot of people. There aren't that many people who can really change my mind, but you're one of those guys, and I'm just glad we were able to share some thoughts today. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, that means a lot to me coming from you, somebody I've always respected, and uh, you know, just you know, the Yahoo is so lucky to have you. <laughs> Honestly, nice, God, appreciate uh, that. You know, they are they are so lucky to have you. I mean, you're just you know because it, you know you you just don't have that huge ego. Uh, you understand what the game is. You understand that we're going to be wrong a lot, and uh, you know, 
you're you're willing to roll with that and uh you're you're you know when you understand that the game is you know that you're gonna be wrong a lot it actually kind of frees you up to be right a little bit more oh, really yeah. it really is liberating it, it sure is um well said and uh, and I, I guess I should just give a little bit of plug to Yahoo. So, you know, you can find me on yep. Twitter, Scott underscore Pianowski, as you see on the screen. Um, Yahoo's a good place to play. I know there's a lot of um, different manager, you know, management software sites and all that. And, you know, you probably have one that you like. But uh, Yahoo's got a really intuitive app. Um, we have regular drafts. We have auction drafts. Uh, we have DFS products and stuff like that. So I hope you'll consider Yahoo as you make those choices for those final leagues. And, um, of course, I'm part of the podcast game over there. Matt Harmon is our temper as our temper is our full time host for the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'll be on a couple of shows during the season. I've been on a bunch of shows in the preseason. I'm also part of a premium podcast with Michael Safino called The Breakfast Table. We've been doing that for a long time. So you might want to check that out. I'm more of a field player, more of a gut player, observational player, although I certainly have to speak stats. Mike's more of a stat driven data guy, although he's of course a observational guy as well. So I think our styles are different but they mesh well together. So check that out if you want. And um, again, thanks for having me. You catch me on Twitter. I know you and I will, will have an open conversation all season. And uh, man, I'm excited for you. Your Vikings have finally remodeled. They finally repainted the kitchen. They finally re- repainted the, uh, the basement and it's go time, man. It's Justin Jefferson of the moon. It's Kirk cousins, quarterback five. I'm, I'm in for it. Yeah, let's, let's hope. I mean, I'm, I'm the eternal pessimist when it comes to the Vikings, but uh, hopefully they can, uh, they, can, they can make a run here and uh, do something good this do year. Like them, do you like them to win the division as what the odds are? I mean, you look at it, right? Look, Chicago's bad. Right. Detroit's like a cute story, but look, what's their upside? Seven, eight wins if things, nine if they really fall right. I mean, Detroit's never winning 12 games. And Green Bay has a lot of things moving in the wrong direction. The defense is still very good, and it's hard to imagine a Rodgers team being bad. But man, I I could I don't know the odds in I don't have the odds in front of me, and I'm not you know I'm, I don't I used to play a lot of like preseason futures and stuff. I've kind of moved away from that. I don't like having my money tied up for one thing. But I got to figure the only price I could really get behind because I don't think Detroit's ready to win it. I, I think they're a few years away. I'm not even sure if Campbell is more of a emotional appeal guy or actually a schematic guy. I I, I know he'll rally the players i just don't know that he's good enough x's and o's although maybe the assistant coaches can be that bottom line is i think minnesota's the value here what do you think yeah i think they're definitely the value uh, i mean you know if I, if I could just pick one team to win and i only get one pick it's going to be green bay but um, you know that but yeah I, I i would like the odds on minnesota a lot better um you know just getting the better odds so and uh one one other thing before we get out of here i got i gotta say um, Scott, you're one of the one of the best writers I've ever seen in the fantasy industry. I, honestly, anything that you write, I would read it, no matter what it's about. So, um, you just do such a great job at uh, it, 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 putting words together and and making it more than just you know something I need to slog through. I mean, so much of fantasy content out there is things I just I'm I'm slogging through the article. I'm like, come on, can we get to the point? Can we you know anything? And you're, you're entertaining. Um, you're, you have that, that combination of entertainment and brevity and just, you know, and everything you say is right on. So appreciate that. I really appreciate that. I think I'm much more brevity is my friend, much more as a writer than it is as a podcast host, but, um, (laughs) that's a really nice compliment. I appreciate that. And again, I'm just going to leave you with this. You you mentioned it, but I'll underscore it. Stay humble, my friends. We will be humbled. We will be wrong. And let's try to learn from it. Let's try to 
I always say this. Let's figure out the season before our opponents do. You know, in, in our managed leagues, I realize a lot of us are playing best ball and stuff. A lot of our leagues, you know, you've already done the heavy lifting. But in a managed seasonal league, you've done part of it. You drafted your team. You're about to draft your team or auction your team. Go get your team. And then it's about good choices starting, good waiver choices, good trade choices. Get that leverage. Go get a defense that has a really good schedule early on. That's that's my hack there. The Colts are good for that. The Broncos are good for that. I don't you know, I don't want to play, get the Bills defense. I don't want to play the Rams in week one. I want to play a bad team in week one. But let's stay humble. Let's try to figure out that season before our opponents do. And, um, and hopefully let's have a great year. And again, thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Scott. And with that, we are going to go ahead and get ourselves out of here. You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons boy these trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be traded. Traded. And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. Fish.